What's the most important or valuable thing you've ever broken, I wonder? And when we use the word break or breaking or broken, it, it can be used in, in so many different contexts. Maybe it was a glass or a mug or a plate you broke at home this week. Maybe it wasn't that valuable, but you, you broke, you smashed something. Maybe you've smashed the screen on your phone. How many of you have lived with a, a smashed, yeah? Valerie? Yeah. Many of you have dropped your phone down the toilet at some stage. Tell the truth. I've done it. And if... Jenny's done it three times. That says something about what Jenny... It says something about Jenny. Um, and you, you put in a bag of rice, the radiator, before... Yeah, that's uh, apparently... But then the, apparently the speaker never works again. Um, but I, I've, had, I've lived with a screen smashed on my phone for a while and had headaches. Um, kids break toys. Maybe you've knocked over something in the house. We talk about a break in the weather. We talk about people's voices breaking throughout those awkward teenage years. Uh, breaking news, uh, earthquake in California over the last few days. I don't know if any of you saw the live broadcast from the newsroom. It was on the BBC website. It was brilliant, where the man is trying to be as professional as can be as the woman is climbing under the desk. This is just, you've got to find it on the BBC website. I was actually going to show it. Like, she's just like... She's under the desk, and he's like, I think we're going to take a break now. Um, she, she's just panicking. But uh, many of you have broken a, a major bone in your body. I, when I was in P6, what, 10 years old, I was playing football at the back of the YMCA in Portadown with a number of my friends, and one of my friends' dad uh, took me down for a tackle and I broke my left leg which uh, he still feels guilty about when I see him to this day I, I remind him about but for two months I was in plaster and in agony um, we, we talk about being broke I have no money I'm broke until you get paid we talk about having our hearts broken we were dumped by somebody in school somebody broke their word broken promises we talk about feeling broken at the loss of somebody important in our lives. You talk about going for broke, risking it all, throwing everything in, you know, going all in. We talk about breaking a horse that you can't ride a horse until it's broken. We talk about breaking open a safe or breaking a code, breaking the flow of a conversation. Somebody interrupts and they broke the flow. We talk about the first shot in snookers called the break. In boxing, when they have a clinch, the referee shouts break. We talk about taking a break, stopping for a while, pausing in relationships maybe you've been dating for three or four months and somebody says let's take a break which normally means let's never get back together again but I don't have the nerve to tell you right now we break a fall we put an arm out to break a fall we break a habit we quit we stop smoking we take a, 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 a movie that broke all box office records that surpassed all previous records we broke the law like by talking on our mobile phone when we were driving beside the police, not looking at anyone in particular. Um, yeah, I know, I know, folks. I'm trying to sanctify her. Um, we talk about when a soldier's captured, they try to break him, they try to uh, torture him so that he reveals secrets. We use that word break or broken in so many contexts, and it's nearly always seen as a negative thing, and it is. We don't want to be broke. We don't want to break bones. We don't want to break our arm. We don't want to have a broken heart. We want a good break. We want to break a record. We want to break a habit. Later, we're going to break 
bread together. A few weeks ago, we talked about the passage of the feeding of the 5,000. And this is really where today's message has come out off because I knew there was something more in it that I needed to go a bit deeper with. Where Jesus is faced with this insurmountable problem of 5,000 men plus women and children, 20,000 plus people, and he's got five loaves and two fish, and, and, and there's not enough. But faced with this problem, he, he, he takes what the little boy has, and he blesses it. He gives thanks for it, even though it's not enough. And it, it says he breaks it. And in the breaking, it started being multiplied. And he gave it to the disciples. And as they gave it out, it was multiplied. We see that in Luke chapter 9. And it was reading through that, I began to think about that pattern of taking and breaking and blessing and giving. Taking, breaking, blessing, and giving. And then I thought about Luke 22, on the Last Supper, on the night before Jesus died on the cross. He's with his disciples in the upper room, and they're gathered around a table, and Judas is there, and the 12 of them are there, and they're celebrating the Passover feast. And it says that Jesus took bread, and he blessed it, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, take eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. First Corinthians 11, Paul's talking to the church in Corinth about taking communion because they're crazy, they're, they're, they're doing it all wrong, they're making it into a feast, a drunken feast, and he says, you know, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had blessed it, he broke it, we've got these words again, take, bless, break. And then Luke 24 one of my favorite passages in scripture. It's the day of the resurrection, but the disciples haven't encountered, most of them haven't encountered the risen living Jesus yet. And we've got two disciples who are dejected and despondent and disappointed and discouraged. And they're leaving Jerusalem and they're going home to a mess. It's a seven mile walk. It'll take about two, three hours. We know one of them's called Cleopas. Maybe that's why he's feeling so down because they called him Cleopas. We don't know. But they're walking along and they're talking about everything that's gone wrong. And they're going over and over it in their heads because they're so disappointed. Their hearts have been broken. Their dreams have been broken. Their, all their plans have been broken. They're broken people. They're, 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 they, all that they had hoped for in this person, Jesus, they thought he was the Messiah, the Deliverer, the one who would throw, overthrow the Roman oppressors. All of that has been broken. And they're walking along, and this guy joins them, and they don't recognize him. And he walks along with them, and he begins to open the Old Testament scriptures. He begins to, to, to open the book and to reveal himself through all these Old Testament prophecies and promises. He begins to, to show them that it, that, that it was God's plan, that this wasn't some tragic accident that, that Jesus had died, that it was the Father's plan, that it was all throughout scripture, that he, he points them to the, the, the Passover lamb, and he points them to the prophecies in Isaiah, and the prophecies in Micah, and he points them to, and they still don't get it. They know there's something going on, but they don't get it. And then they get to a mess, and they go into their house, and he acts as if he's about to go on. 
And sometimes Jesus wants to test us just to see how much we want him, just to see how much we hunger for him. He meets us in our brokenness, but he wants to see how much we want. And so they say, come in and stay, and they convince him to come in and stay. And a weird thing's happened because they sit down for the meal, and it's their house, but he takes charge. He takes the bread. They were meant to do it. They were the hosts. They were the ones who were meant to give thanks. But Jesus comes into their brokenness and he takes control of the situation and he takes the bread and it says he took it and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And in the taking and the breaking and the blessing, we read that their eyes were opened. That something in that showed them who Jesus was. Was There was something in that act of taking and breaking and blessing and giving that they recognized him. I don't know what it was. I wonder, did they remember a previous meal? I wonder, was it in seeing the bread broken that they thought about Jesus broken? I, I, want, I don't know what it, what was it in that moment. I mean, they'd been with him for three hours and they hadn't. And then they said, did not our hearts burn within us as we walked along the road and he opened the scriptures? Suddenly they realized there was something in how he took and blessed and broke and gave that opened their eyes to who Jesus was. And I wonder, is there a pattern that God's trying to reveal to us in Scripture? That it's in the taking and the blessing and the breaking and the giving that we experience Jesus, that we experience the way God works in our lives. That there's something of a pattern. There's something that God is trying to, to show us. And I've been thinking about this for a while, that there's something in this about how God works in our lives, about how he takes our lives and uses us and, and, and gives us to the world. Is God showing us something about how he uses people, how he takes people? How he chooses us, how he adopts us as sons or daughters. He takes us, chooses us as a nicer word. He chooses us, he takes us, he adopts us as his sons and daughters and then he blesses us. We're forgiven and we're loved and we're accepted and he provides for us. And in so many ways God pours this blessing into our lives and then at times he breaks us or we end up being broken. Something happens to us. He breaks us of pride, of selfishness, of arrogance, of greed, of thinking that we can live life however we want. Our self-centeredness, our self-will, our self-reliance. He breaks us and once we are broken, then he's able to give us to the world around us to make an impact and an influence and point people to him. You see, as you read the stories of the great saints throughout history, they all went through this process. There was very rarely any significant man or woman of God in history who God did not take and bless and then break before he gave. We see it in Scripture. Abraham, Father Abraham, God took him from the earth Chaldeans from his homeland. Didn't tell him where he was going. Just sent him and said, start walking and I'll show you where to go. Sometimes that's what God does. He says, I'm not telling you where you're going. I'm just telling you to leave where 
you are. And he started walking. And God blessed him with wealth, with herds, with, with abundance, with prosperity, with a wife that he loved. God blessed Abraham. And then God broke him because what did Abraham want most? He wanted a son. God had said, you will be a father of nations. How can you be a father of nations if you're not even a father of a child? And as he gets old, he's nearly 100 years old. His wife's a few years younger than him. Things stop working and, 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 and nothing. He cannot see how this is going to work. And it feels like God's promises have come to nothing. And he tries to take things into his own hands and has a child with Hagar. And that child is called Ishmael. And it turns out to be a mess. And we're still living in the ramifications of that today. Because when we try to do things our way, when we try to shortcut, when we try to, to fast forward, when we try to force that which God has, hasn't endorsed it leads to a mess he he's broken he ends up in this broken place and then God gives him Isaac God gives him the promised child it's not too late he thinks he's past it but it's not too late and I want to say to you it's not too late You might think you're past it. You might think you're too old. You might think, well, it hasn't worked until now. You might think, well, God promised me this, but it hasn't come to fulfillment before. I want to say to you, it is not too late. You know, I have a Bible at home with prophetic words from 1992 and 1994 that I have yet to see fulfilled in my life. That's 27 years ago. 20, no, 25. I want to clown it. Give me a break. Um, I haven't seen, but you know what? It's not too late. Some of you are holding on to words from God for, for decades. It is not too late. When God gives us a word, the Bible says in Isaiah 55, it does not return empty, it does not return void, but it accomplishes the task for which God gives it. And so Isaac has a son called Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, and one of them is called Joseph. And God gives Joseph dreams. And his brothers despise him for these dreams. And they want to kill him, but in the end they throw him in a pit and leave him there. But he's taken, he's taken out of the pit. And he's sold by some Midianites to some Egyptians. And he ends up in Pharaoh, the king's palace. And God blesses him there. He prospers him. We read that the Lord was with him and he prospers uh, Genesis 37. God blesses him so that he's, he's put in charge of everything. And then God breaks him. As Potiphar's wife tries to uh, accuse him of wrongdoing, she tries to uh, get him to go to bed, but he does the right thing. And he's, he's accused falsely and he ends up in prison for a crime he did not commit. And, uh, and, and, uh, and he, he languishes in prison and he's forgotten about and all those dreams that he had about the people bowing down they seem so far away from him now as he's in prison and then one day the king has a dream and nobody can understand it and Joseph is taken out of the brokenness of the prison he interprets the dream and he's given He's given to the nation to, to, he interprets the dream and he becomes prime minister and he has great influence and he not only saves the, 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 the Egyptians, he saves his own family from starvation through a seven year famine and his family come down and God, and, and, and they're afraid of him and he says, no, you intended it for evil, but God meant it for good. You broke me, but God blessed me. You thought you were breaking me. You thought you were 
getting rid of me, but God, in the midst of all the brokenness, was able to bring blessing and take something incredible out of it. And so his family moved down to Egypt. This Israelite family moved to Egypt and they begin to multiply and they begin to increase in number and they're breeding and breeding and they seem to enjoy that. And, and they, over 400 years, they, they multiply. And then it tells us a king who didn't know nothing about Joseph came up and he began to look around and began to feel threatened by these people, these Israelites, because they were so plentiful in number. He begins to feel threatened and terrified. And so he says, we need to get rid of these people. We need to reduce the number. And so he instructs the midwives, if a boy is born, kill him. If a girl is born, let them live. But there's one little boy who is born, and his name is Moses. And God takes him. God takes him and puts him in a basket and hides him in the bulrushes and, and takes him away from that genocide that was happening. And God blesses him. He's taken out of the water by princess. And he grows up in the palace. He's the prince of Egypt. He's blessed. But then he's broken. Because one day he sees one of his own people, the Hebrews, being badly treated. And he steps in and he kills the Egyptian. And somebody sees. And somebody says, I'm going to tell on you. And so Moses goes on the run and for the next 40 years he's in the wilderness, in the desert, in the backside of nowhere. And in those 40 years he is broken. And then one day he's walking along and we read about it in Exodus 3 and there's a bush burning and God speaks to him and sends him back. He gives him a purpose. He gives him a calling and sends him back to deliver his people from oppression and slavery and bring them to the promised land. I, you start to see, I could talk about David, but I won't, about how God took David, about how God took him from the pasture and God anointed him to be the next king of Israel and God blessed him when he went up against Goliath and how he started to fight battles. But then God broke him because Saul got jealous and he ended up in a fugitive on the run and then God gave him kingship over Israel. I could tell you that, but I won't. God, te- God takes... He blesses, he breaks, and then he gives. I wonder, can you see that pattern in your own life? I wonder, can you see if this has happened to you? It's not always so linear as that. Sometimes it's, it happens at the same time. They overlap. Sometimes the blessing and the breaking go together. Have you found that? One area of your life is going really well and God's blessing it. And another area of your life, he seems to be breaking you. And people see the blessing and they get jealous, but they don't see the brokenness. Your work is going really well and you're being promoted, but your home life and your family life and your marriage is a mess. Maybe you seem to have it all, but your kids are out of control. And it can happen in big and small ways. It can happen in major events, losses and big promotions and moving. And it can happen in small ways. Sometimes it feels like in 24 hours we go through all four things. Sometimes in one day it feels like God takes us and he blesses us. And by mid-afternoon we're broken. And by that night we have found purpose again. Can you identify where you're at in that stage of, of that cycle today? 
The taking stage, let's talk about it. The taking stage is, is where you're, you're taken out of the, the comfortable and familiar surroundings you're used to. God takes us out of somewhere that we've maybe got into a bit of a rut, somewhere that we're familiar with, somewhere that's our comfort zone. God takes you out of the security you're used to. It's the transition. It's the in-between. It's where you've left something behind because God has told you to go. It's where you've left something behind because you can't stay there anymore. It's where you've left something behind because it's no longer for you. It no longer fits. It's become a tight place. It's a restrictive place. You know God has told you to leave and you know there's something on the other side. You're just not sure what it is yet. You're not exactly sure what it looks like yet. I call it the tension of transition. It would be a great name for a book. And uh, and you're in-between there's uncertainty there's insecurity because at least back here you knew what to expect you might have hated your job but you knew what to expect it was predictable it was comfortable he takes you out of a relationship you're dating somebody and 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 you know they're not the one and so you break up but you haven't met anyone else and on saturday night you're sitting watching love island and you're thinking will i just text them and see what they're doing because it's uncomfortable i would rather be in something that's not the best than have this discomfort we see that when the israelites are in the wilderness they say would it not be better to go back to egypt because at least in slavery we knew what to expect every day we're here We're in between. It's uncertain. And we don't like uncertainty. We're creatures who crave comfort and certainty. And then, that's the taking. And then there's the blessing. We love the blessing. I'm all about blessing, folks. I love it. I'm a blessed man, folks. I want to tell you that God has blessed me in my life. As I said last week... It was the 29th anniversary of, of my 29th birthday of becoming a Christian. And God has blessed me. God has blessed me in so many ways. He's blessed me with a family. He's blessed me in churches. He's blessed me with, with a wonderful son and a lovely wife. He's blessed me financially. He's blessed us in so many ways. We love the blessing. We love the promotion. We love getting the job. We love meeting somebody and falling in love and getting married. We love that when everything we touch turns to gold. We love the favor of the Lord. We love it when our business prospers and we have more orders than we can fulfill. We love when everything's falling into place when you're in the blessing you don't want it to end i want to live under perpetual blessing it's like swimming in the blessing and favor of god and you're thinking let's stay here but then no something happens doesn't it there's always a but there's a but something butts its way in something happens and things start to take a downturn things start to fall apart a little you lose something you lose someone that you love you go through pain and heartache and suffering and sadness and sickness you take some hits you get betrayed by somebody who you thought you could trust someone who you thought you would do life with forever someone who you thought you would grow old with you get betrayed they do something they say something that you never imagined it could happen you go broke financially you go bankrupt darkness descends over you you get depressed you end up in a pit you feel like overwhelmed by life you're stressed you're anxious you start to lose hope it feels like god has abandoned you it feels like god has forgotten about you in the blessings 
stage he felt so close and now it's like, God, where are you? My prayers don't feel like they're going any higher than the ceiling. God doesn't always do the breaking. Sometimes, you know, I break myself. Sometimes God doesn't have to do the breaking. And sometimes the devil, as I've said many times, has a day off and goes on holidays because I'm good enough at breaking myself through my own stupidity, sin, and wrong choices. Sometimes it's out of our hands. Maybe your company closes and you lose your job. That's not your fault, but it breaks you. Somebody hurts you. Somebody walks away from you. Sometimes it's just life. We live in a broken and fallen world where there's sickness and pain and suffering. And sometimes life just breaks us. And while God may not send the breaking, God uses the breaking. God works in the breaking. Because Romans 8, 28, and I know it sounds like a cliche at this stage, but he takes all things. God is at work in all things. God is is able to take all things and work in them for our good and for his glory. And he takes the brokenness and he shapes us and he prepares us and he rids us of pride and he rids us of arrogance and he rids us of that self-sufficiency. Otherwise, we would be tempted because of the blessing to start puffing our chest out and thinking, how great am I? How great I art. How great is my Craig? And we would start to sing, you know, and start to worship ourselves and think it's because I'm so clever and so ingenious and so smart and so good looking and so gifted and so talented that all the blessing comes. But the breaking reminds us that we are fallible. The breaking reminds us that we're human. The breaking reminds us that we are not all that on a bag of chips, as they say in the States. That we are just human. That we need God. That without God, we are nothing. God is drawn to brokenness. God works in brokenness. We hate brokenness. If we could get a monopoly, get out of brokenness for life free card, we would all take it and we would pay for it. I don't want to be broken. And yet God works in the brokenness. Let me read a quote to you from George MacDonald. It's in a a little book called Brokenness. It says, usually when something is broken, its value declines or disappears altogether. Broken dishes, broken bottles, broken mirrors are generally scrapped. Even a crack in furniture or a tear in a cloth greatly reduces its resale value. But it, it isn't the way, that way in the spiritual realm. God puts a premium on broken things, especially on broken people. You see, we live in what they call a throwaway culture, don't we? When something's broken, we, we often don't try and even fix it. We just throw it away and we replace it. In a previous generation, you glued it and you did whatever. But our, our generation, you just, oh, we'll just get a new one. We'll just buy a new one. We'll, 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 we'll throw it away. It's a throwaway culture. I want to tell you that when something's broken, God doesn't throw it away. He works in the brokenness and he begins to mend it. And God is drawn to brokenness. Look at what it says in Psalm 34 and the Psalm 51. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And David 
after he's committed adultery with Bathsheba, he's repenting. This is the, the psalm where he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take that guilty spirit from me. This is later in that. He says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. God is drawn to brokenness. If it wasn't for our brokenness, many of us would never realize our need for God. Those of you who are Christians in the room, maybe it was in a broken time that you found God. Maybe you were cruising along and you had the perfect life and everything was going well. But then the bottom dropped out of your world. You know, I always say to people, just make friends with people who don't go to church. Make friends with non-believers. You don't have to preach to them. Just be friends with them. Because at some point, the brokenness will happen. And they'll need somewhere to turn. I think of friends of mine who have come to faith who seem to have the perfect life. And then they found out their fiancé was cheating on them. Then they found out that there was sickness in their body that they hadn't realized was there. Then they found out that life wasn't as perfect as they thought it. And as the, as the brokenness enters their life, so does the blessing. You see, the, broken and the, ble- the, bro- the breaking and the blessing aren't, aren't as different as we think they are. Very often the blessing and the breaking go together. If it wasn't for the breaking, a lot of us would persist in stubborn rebellion against our Creator and end up in eternity without God. And it's not just becoming a Christian through brokenness, but often as we are Christians, God breaks us to bring us back. Remember the story of the prodigal son. He was a son, but he wandered off and did his own thing. But as he's in the pig pen with the stinking pigs, he's broken and he says, I will arise and go back to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. In his brokenness, he comes back. And even as Christians, we do things our own way. We wander off. We, we, we think we're invincible. And at the start, things work for us. And we seem to have the blessing. But then the breaking comes and we realize we need to go back to the father's house. We need to go back and repent. Our brokenness turns us back to God. It resets us. You know, my brother-in-law, Becky's brother, is a, an orthopedic surgeon. And uh, I remember years ago we were talking about just uh, bones and stuff like that and bone setting. And, and I'd heard something and I asked him about it. Because I, 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 when I was younger, I had one friend who had, had fractured their ankle. And uh, the bone hadn't set properly. And they had a limp. The, it was misaligned. And, and they walked with a constant limp and... And they were in pain. And it was actually beginning to affect their back as well. And they had back pain. And they went to the orthopedic surgeon. And, and the orthopedic surgeon said this. There's only one thing I can do. I need to re-break your leg. I need to re-break your leg. And reset it properly. I need to re-break it. So I can realign it. Otherwise, the pain in your legs is going to get worse. You're never going to lose the limp. And the pain in your back is going to get worse. And as you get older, you're not even going to be able to walk at all. But if I will re-break your leg, I can realign it. 
I can realign it with a rod and my screws. And at the time you can imagine that is not a preferred option. They do that in West Belfast for drug dealers and kids who joyride. That is not something you want to do. okay? But this is what a surgeon was doing. He was doing it with care. And yet a few years on they were walking perfectly and properly and the pain was gone. And sometimes our lives get out of line. When God breaks us, it's never to hurt us, it's never to punish us, but it's to heal us. Some areas of our lives are misaligned, they're out of focus, and they're going in the wrong trajectory. And at the start, it's only affecting one part of us, but if we don't get it sorted out, it will soon impact every part of our lives. Unless it's rectified, it will take us further off course. We all have that one habit, that one dysfunction, and God keeps saying, sort it out, sort it out, and we keep going, God, I'll do it some other time, and we're wandering just further and further. And God sometimes comes in and he breaks us, not to harm us, but to heal us. He breaks our pride, our stubbornness, even our false hopes and dreams. And it's so painful at the time. Yet we need to realize that when Jesus takes the bread and when he blesses it and when he breaks it, never leaves his hand in the taking in the blessing and in the breaking it's always in his hand and no matter what stage you're at today I want to say to you that God is never so close as he is in your brokenness we don't go chasing breaking that's just sadistic we don't go chasing the brokenness we don't need to but it will come if you just live long enough, and it will come at many times through life in different ways and to varying intensities. The brokenness will come, but I want to say to you that in the middle of your brokenness, God is able to do a a work because he's in your hand. He's able to, to bring a purpose, and that is to give us, to give us to the world, to give us more than we lost. To give us a new sense of dependence on him. To give us depth and authenticity and substance because we live in a superficial and shallow and fake world. But people are drawn to what is real. People are drawn to authenticity. There's enough fluff and sugar coating and surface level relationships and air brushing and filtering as we try to present this perfect life to people that isn't real. And God is looking for broken people who are real because there's something about brokenness that draws people. Because you know what the reality is? We're all broken. There's nobody who's not broken. We all have broken places in our lives. And it's our brokenness that connects us much more than our perfection. I can connect with broken people who are honest much more than I can connect with people who are trying to put up some sort of facade. I have realized that it's in my brokenness and by vulnerability that people connect. There's something about people being real that's irresistible. And I look at my own life and I realize just, I go through the different stages of my life and I can see where this happens. And I was just thinking about just in more recent years where God took us. God took us from our life in Dublin or in, in Lurgan and we were newlyweds and we knew the area and it was comfortable and, and God took us and he, he took us to Dublin and, and he took us to the inner city and it was uncomfortable and it was unfamiliar. And I thought I'd seen it all in Lurgan until every day when I was in Dublin I looked out of my office window and saw people injecting heroin into their groins. 
Yes, I said the word groin in church. That was the only place they could find a, a vein that, 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 that they could inject heroin. Literally every day I would look out my window and there was an old park a graveyard at the back of the church that my window looked out. And it was, it was where all the heroin addicts hung out. And our, our, where our church was, was the, the area that they brought heroin into church, or into, into well, they did actually bring it into church as well sometimes, um, into Dublin to begin with in the 80s and got everybody hooked. And so we had all these addicts roaming about and trying to find veins. And I, I, it was so uncomfortable. It was, it was terrifying at the start. He brought the, this newlywed couple into the heart of inner city Dublin. And we, it was disorientating. And this church was about to close. And it was empty. And, and God blessed us. He blessed us with numbers. The church began to grow. He blessed us financially. He blessed our marriage. He blessed us with his son. He blessed us in seeing hundreds of people come to faith. One of them was at the service two weeks ago. We, he blessed us. And then he broke us. And we, don't, we didn't want the breaking. And the two kind of overlapped in the middle, somewhere in the third year. And he broke us. And he broke me through burnout, which led to depression. He broke me. And, and I've got to the stage where, where I just was a mess and I could hardly function. I was getting up on a Sunday and doing my thing like I'm doing here, but inside I was empty, inside I was broken, inside I was lost, inside I didn't know if I could even go on. He broke us. And I hated it. I never want to go through that again. But as I look back on the brokenness, I wouldn't change it. Because God did something in the brokenness. God did something in me. He taught me more in the brokenness than he did in the blessing. And he changed us in the brokenness more than in the blessing. And that's the thing about life. We tend to learn the real lessons of life in the brokenness, don't we? In the blessing, we go on cruise control. We don't have, it's just so good. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. But when we're broken, we need to press into him. And we learn lessons that never leave us. And then he gave us. He gave us to the North Coast for a year. And he, he gave us here. And he sent us to a little place in Craig Avon. And he gave us. And that's not the end of it. Because now we're here. And he's taking us. And he's blessing us. And in the midst of our time here, he'll break us. And he'll give us. And it just goes through life. It just, it, it never stops. I don't want to go through it again. But it's just life. And we're going to come to communion now. And you know, in communion, you know what we do? We remember the taking and the blessing and the breaking and the giving. God took his son, his son who was in the comfort of heaven, the comfort of glory at the right hand of the Father. God took him and put him in the womb and he was taken from the womb. And God blessed him and God said, you're my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And God blessed him with signs and wonders and miracles and healings. God blessed Jesus in his ministry, as thousands gathered to hear him teach. But then God broke him on a hill outside Jerusalem, a place called Calvary, Golgotha. His body hung on the cross, and he was broken. And God gave him to be the saviour of the world. As we come to communion, let me read some verses from Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed, that means broken, for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace, and by his wounds, by his 
by his breaking, we're fixed, we're healed. We, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. That's the gospel. That God took his son, his only son Jesus, and broke him. Broke him beyond recognition. Broke him where even his father couldn't look at him. But as the father broke his son, it was for our blessing so that we could be fixed, so that we could be healed, so that we could be restored, so that we could be given eternal life.